Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, she only had one night to prepare for her audition for Jagged Little Pill, and well, we all know how that worked out. Not only did she get the job, welcome Tony nominee Lauren Patton to the podcast. A-OK. My guest today is the Tony-nominated actress, Lauren Patton. Lauren originated the role of Joe in the Alanis Morissette musical Jagged Little Pill, both on Broadway and at ART's world premiere. Some of her other theater credits include the Broadway production of Fun Home, The Wolves, and Days of Rage. Her film and television credits include Blue Bloods, The Good Fight, Succession, and The Big Sick. You can find her at laurenpatton.com. And I'm so thrilled to have this newly Tony-nominated actress on the podcast. Welcome, Lauren Patton. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. It has been really extraordinary seeing how incredibly active you have been in uh, voter registration, getting out the vote, putting music out of yours that we get to listen to and absorb during this really hard time. So I want to start by saying thank you as a member of the planet for all you're doing. And just as we start today, it's October 2020. Broadway is still shut down. We're still dealing with COVID. This episode will live forever, but this moment is very unique. And I wonder, I just would love to start with very specifically, how are you today at this moment in time? Yeah, uh, it is quite the time, isn't it? A lot going on. You know, I, I... I, I think I, I feel good today. And I think in, in general, how I felt during this time is um, I felt better than I think I would have predicted had somebody told me everything that was going to happen with this pandemic and all of the events of 2020. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that uh, I feel pretty even keel all things considered. Um, But I think definitely this is an intense time because we're talking late in October 2020. So we are less than two weeks away from the presidential election. So that feels very intense as we're really um, in the final stretch of uh, this incredibly important election. Um, So I think definitely a solid baseline of anxiety around that is present um, because it's so important this year. Uh, so that, that, that for sure feels present for me right now. You know, it's funny that you start with sort of this 
description of what you might have predicted for yourself emotionally during this very unprecedented moment. Um, and when I knew you were coming on the show, I sort of opened it up on social media because you've been so generous with with fans and friends alike in that realm. And I invited people to ask questions. And, mm-hmm. and one of the questions, I think her name was Sahara Jade, asked about tips for anxiety and sort of if there are ways specifically that you have gone about um, handling anxiety. And and this may be something that you have dealt with pre-COVID, pre-Black Lives Matter, pre-election, just in your life in general. But I'm curious, have you had like a skill set that has gotten you through this time that's allowed for an even keeledness? Yeah. Well, for sure, anxiety is something that I've dealt with for quite some time. And um, I think that in some ways, uh, just the way that my brain naturally operates, I have an anxious nature. And so uh, I've been trying to build up those tools of self-care for a long time now. And Mm -hmm. uh, some of that looks like uh, consistently going to therapy. Therapy has been huge for me. Um, And the most recent, I would say, addition to that um, that has become more consistent for me is meditation. Um, I always meditated very sporadically and I've practiced yoga for a long time. And so I would meditate at the end of yoga classes kind of, and but it was never a consistent part of my life. And uh, definitely during this time with the pandemic, I've tried to um, really make it a priority to incorporate it every day. Uh, I'm not always successful. It's, it's not like I have a perfect record of doing it every day, but it's been a much more consistent part of my life since the pandemic has started. And that's helped a lot. Um, yeah. And I think that, um, I think another tool for me, which is kind of more general, but, but my, my anxiety gets really bad in isolation and anxiety, I think, and how it manifests for me, and I think for a lot of people, is it, it feels very easy to isolate when you are anxious, and that actually just makes it so much worse in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. I think that um, I've been, during this time particularly, really trying to be conscious about being in contact with my family and with my friends and... Um, you know, making sure, particularly with this pandemic, I mean, we have not, we've all been so isolated. Uh, mm-hmm. And so using the technology available of FaceTime and, and texting and really trying to be uh, connected with my people uh, has helped me keep from spiraling into the anxiety because the isolation can really kick it up so bad. Well, before March, you had been involved for years um with Jagged Little Pill, this mm-hmm. phenomenal Broadway musical um, that recently kind of swept up with, you know, a zillion nominations uh, for this yeah. version of the Tony Awards this year. But I think what's been really remarkable is is knowing so many of you in the show, what an incredible, when you say family, I mean, there's your biological family, and then there's this family of this cast and crew and it seems to be a really special experience in that way looking at it from the outside what did it feel like from the inside yeah I mean I think 
we were talking about social media, right? And I just recently wrote a little bit about that, uh, about the concept of family when it comes to a show. Um, and it, it was extraordinarily special in a lot of ways. And I think that the thing that people don't talk about as much with shows um, is that it's also really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, can you just elaborate when you say that yeah. what pops into your mind in terms of specifically in in your experience? Well, you you spend so much time together as this group of people creating the show, and particularly when you're involved in in a development of a piece, mm-hmm. you spend a period of years together, and a show like Jagged Little Pill is so. Um, loaded because it deals with a lot of really uh, intense and sensitive social and cultural issues that we're all dealing with right now. And so it, we, when you, when you have something that is that uh, intense of a piece and something that is dealing with issues that we all care very deeply about, and you're all in this process together for years, there are moments where it gets really fraught, where it gets really hard. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that's re- actually where the metaphor of family can be really useful in the context of a show and actually really accurate because it's, it's less the sort of um, very sweet thing of like, oh, well, we're all the family and there is those aspects to it too. But it's also family in the sense that families are hard and it's this group of people that you are related to, whether it's biological or whether because you're all working on this piece together. And it's like, who, who do you stick it out with you know who do you ride all of the highs and lows with and sometimes uh sometimes that's really hard and sometimes it's not uh a super fun day at rehearsal sometimes you're stuck on something and something isn't working and people get frustrated um and that's actually any developmental process i've ever worked on because it's really hard uh to create something in its uh best clearest iteration possible uh musicals are really hard <laughs> so mm-hmm. um i've been reflecting on that after these tony nominations because i really think it's remarkable everything that we've been through together as a group to get to this point um precisely because it was not always easy mm-hmm. um and because we were working with a, a very intense story that um that we all really cared very deeply about getting right. And, yeah. uh, and so that naturally brings so much passion and emotion into a room, uh, which is sometimes the greatest thing in the world and sometimes a really draining day at rehearsal. And those both exist equally in this kind of a process. Right. So were you involved with the show from day one? Yes. Yeah. So I was one of the actors who was uh, with it from its very first reading. Um, and that was in the summer of 2017. And what did you know about it at the time? Were you familiar with the source material? Somewhat. Yeah. I didn't really know about it as a, uh, I didn't know that it was being made as a musical. I didn't have, um, it was all, it was all actually quite, uh, Quick, the process around the reading. I uh, got the audition the night before I had to go in, and uh, 
So it's oh, which, I love that. Yeah, which is quite <laughs> which is quite common actually for you know, sometimes with with readings with things because it's really right. you're going to be in a room for about five days and it's right. Uh, it all goes quickly. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to feel like really on top of the audition with such a short amount of time. Or does that not does that scare you, or are you comfortable working that quickly? I think that it depends on the show and on the material. I mean, I, th- I think what was interesting about this this audition for this very first reading was that they didn't have um, a full script yet. Diablo mm-hmm. was still working on her very first draft. And so there was not, it, it was not uh, something with a lot of material that we could come in with. We had a couple of test scenes. Um, and I don't even remember if those were scenes that were in the script or not. Um, but there was not a ton of information about it. And it was... Uh, so actually in that way, there's sort of less pressure because there's not, it's very stressful if you get something and it's like, read this script overnight and here's four audition scenes and learn these two songs. Then you want time, right? Yeah. Uh, Cause it can be very intense, but, um, yes. but with this one, there actually wasn't a huge amount of pressure because it was sort of like, Hey, just show up and, and do what you can for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so and did you have to sing something from, uh, the the cast that it wasn't a cast recording yet the album of <laughs> Little Pill or did you sing your own thing? Well, uh, they had they had us come in with a, a rock song of our choice, and then they asked if I would sing "You Ought to Know," which um, I I so I knew Alanis's music, but not super well. It's not an album I grew up with, so. Uh, of course, I knew you ought to know, but I said, I remember saying, I don't know that I really can do the verses super well. It's a lot of words. It wasn't a song that I'd already sung along to a ton. I obviously knew the chorus. And I said, it's fine. Just do just do what you can. And I think I went and listened to the song a few times uh, on my headphones and then uh, went in and sang it. So they, they did surprise me with that. Right. We weren't asked to prepare that beforehand. And that's what and- ended up happening. And did you know from the beginning during workshops that that was a song that Joe, your character, was going to sing, that it was yours? Yes. Yeah, that was from the first reading that was uh, part of the story for Joe, was that that was sort of the peak of Joe's arc was that song. So can we talk about this song? Because whether you got to see the show in Boston or in New York or on YouTube, something (laughs) really electric has happened, um, which is a very rare thing. You know, I remember seeing the color purple, a certain number of shows where uniquely at not a moment where most people in an audience get up at the same time and start clapping because it's not the end of the show or an act break, but there's this, um, unified experience where people are so in need of the release that a certain song gives them and in awe of the performer delivering it and it's it's a it's something very unpredictable I'm sure you never predicted that this would happen in the way that it's happened um but I've heard that it started happening pretty early uh in performances in Boston is that true yeah, it actually, uh, yeah, it, it started happening. So when we did it in Cambridge at American Repertory Theater. Sorry, um, I keep saying Boston, but I mean it ART. It's, in, it's in basically Cambridge. Boston. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, it's, it's essentially Boston. Uh, but Boston, if you live Boston in Cambridge, adjacent. 
I feel like we need to give Cambridge props. So it is yeah. actually Cambridge. Yes. Um, so yes, it happened uh, from the first preview in, right. in that production. Um, so that's, yeah. like, that's a yeah. lot yeah. to carry as you're still learning something, right? So then I remember the first time I got entrance applause in something, I was like, oh my God, what if it happens tomorrow night? What if it doesn't happen tomorrow mm-hmm. night, right? Like mm-hmm. suddenly you're no longer even worrying about the entrance or the song. It, it, it's sort of very hard to not focus on the reaction to the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you handle that? Yeah, it was it was super interesting. And I, and I think, I think what you noted about... Um, when you're still learning something too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's something that's interesting about an out-of-town tryout in general. That was my first time doing an out-of-town tryout. Right. And it is very, uh, it's such a helpful part of the process, but it's 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 very vulnerable because you are putting something up that isn't a finished product. I mean, this is not how the show, this is not the end of the show's journey. And yet you're putting something out there for a full audience for a mm-hmm. pretty long period of time who have uh, paid who have paid totally yeah. and uh it's so it's interesting and it's vulnerable because because people so many people come to see it and uh it, yeah it's just it's a very interesting thing in general um that is so helpful to a show's development and also so vulnerable um so yeah i think that uh I particularly when it first started happening, it was so unexpected. And and so, I mean, it's, it it would be a ludicrous thing to expect because it's so, uh, so rare and it's not something that happens. So it would be kind of, uh, insane to be like, this is going to happen for this thing. It's not how that works. So even after it started happening, it was, it was not, we did not take that as something that was clear that it would continue to happen. Um, particularly at first preview, you don't know if it's just, wow, that was an unbelievable response for its first preview. People right. Like, or, oh my God, they all know this song and this is the song, well, right? Like, yes. Right. So it took a while in Cambridge until it, we, we actually started to recognize that this was something that was going to keep happening. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I mean, there is something I'm grateful because the song is such a, um, it is the kind of song that you can get so lost in that at a certain point, uh, I, I wasn't, I was able to not think about what the reaction would be at the end of the number, you know? I, and mm-hmm. I, I was really grateful for that because it is not, it, it is the, the way that the show exists in, the way that the song exists in the show um, does not leave room for a lot of um, thinking outside of the moment, <laughs> which, well, I'm, which I'm grateful for. There, there were a lot of people who actually wanted to know how you mentally prepare for that song. I'm mm-hmm. sure you have a, a tremendous amount of physical and vocal warm-up that you do before you walk on stage, which I'd love to hear about, but that is not the first thing that happens when you go on stage. The song happens later in the show. So yeah. does the ride of the show get you there or do you have to start going, okay, it's, it's coming. This thing is coming. Mm-hmm. Um. I definitely, 
I, I had a very uh, specific physical uh, warm up journey and cool down journey throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did my physical and vocal warm up prior to the show beginning. But yeah, as you said, that moment comes late in act two. And um, I'm actually off stage for a fair amount of time prior to that. Uh, right. So you're song. not your most warmed up at that moment. Right. So I have, uh, so yeah, I had a set of physical um, warm up moves that I would start to do uh, prior to that number. That then the number that comes before that in the show, I would I would use as a time to do something that I set that I knew worked for my body. And um, uh, prior to going on stage for you ought to know and mm-hmm. in some ways that became so routine but I actually think it, it set my your the body is so fascinating and it really does hold memory and I think that at a certain point once that got so routine it was like my body knew what that meant when I did those that specific warm-up it, it was like it signaled energetically um mm-hmm. for my body what I was about to uh expend energetically um yeah and but honestly, uh, I I, th- I keep coming back to the the song. I, it's such a uh, perfect song that I really found personally that I I didn't need to do a whole lot to prepare emotionally or mentally prior to going on stage to do the song because it's all in the song, um, and it's in the scene leading up to the song. So I didn't have to uh, psych myself up to get into any kind of emotional uh, space. I did my physical work and, uh, and obviously, you know, you have the acting work of, you know, the state that your character is in prior to walking on stage for that scene. Mm -hmm. Besides that, um, as long as I was present and open uh, to it, the, the song did the work for me in a lot of ways. Can you tell folks, for the five people who may be listening who don't know who Joe is in the story of Jagged Little Pill, which is adapted from Alanis Morissette's incredible album, um, and Tom Kidd and Diablo Cody and Diane Paulus, you know, there are a lot of people involved in the making of this show, but if you can speak specifically, who is Joe in this story and why is she singing this song? Yeah. Um, so yes, as you said, Jagged Little Pill is taken from Alanis's album and also other songs from her discography, but it has nothing to do with Alanis's life. Um, and it's a story that centers on a family in a, um, kind of rich white town in Connecticut. Uh, and all of them are dealing with, uh, these sort of internal, um, deep issues that they aren't letting come to the surface and the the daughter of that family is this character Frankie who is um black and adopted into this family and is um struggling with finding her place uh in this community and in her family and then Joe is her best friend in the show so I uh yeah I come in as sort of Frankie's um rock and best friend uh in this community and uh joe is a queer teen who is uh in a super um vulnerable place in her journey of uh 
what her relationship is to her identity, her relationship to her gender expression, how she wants to walk through the world. And um, Joe and Frankie have kind of, their friendship has sort of started to move into something more romantic. Um, and as the course of the, through the course of the play, uh, Frankie starts to have a different romantic thing with a guy and um, sort of starts to shut Joe out and, as Joe discovers that in act two is what sets up for the moment of you want to know. You have been able to inhabit parts in really beautiful musicals um, where queer teens have a voice. You were in fun home, another really extraordinary piece of theater. Um, were there things that you saw growing up where you saw queer teens reflected in a piece of art that was meaningful to you? Hmm. That's interesting. I nothing is coming to mind, not necessarily because there wasn't anything. I th I think there certainly was a lot less than there is now and that mm -hmm. there's been great strides in um queer representation in media. Um but I think that my relationship with my own identity is different because I did not identify as queer as a teen. Um, mm -hmm. it, it took me time um, to recognize that part of myself and my identity. I, I think, and I think a lot of that has to do with um, being bisexual is that there, it's a very, um, it's, it's not as cut and dried and there's part, there's part of you that fits into the sort of uh, heterosexual norms that you see much more of and so it's easy it was easy for me to identify more with that for a long part of time you know a big part of my life mm -hmm. um it took me so fun home was actually really integral for me in seeing myself more fully um wow. so so yeah I I, I think that that's do you I, think that being in that play can, can you just talk a little yeah. bit more about that surrounded by those you know, Alison Bechdel and, and the people who made that piece, Lisa and all of the mm -hmm. people in it. Mm -hmm. And how old were you when you did that show? Um, I think, let me think of the years. I believe that I joined the show when I was 22, I think. Okay. So 22. still really young. Like yeah. Teendom yeah. was just a minute away. Before, Correct. Right? Yeah. Not I like was you were 42. Young. Yeah. 22. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. March so, of 2015. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So you're saying that it was that experience in part that was impactful. 100%. I understand you. Yes. And, and can you just talk about what that means to you without in, in whatever way feels comfortable for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think that fun home, fun home was the first time that I was really in a community uh, with lesbian women it was not that I had never met lesbian women in my life, but I had never been in um, in a place in which I felt an actual like communion with them. And I think with my experiences in theater prior, I had been close friends with and worked with and known a lot of gay cis men. Um, and beyond that, uh, had only started to have connections with queer folks of other identities. Um, and so I, I think the fun home was actually really integral in me seeing myself reflected in other people and, and, um, being a part of that show, um, gave me the freedom and the opportunity to 
actively question for myself why I related so much to these people. Um, Why do I feel so in communion with, uh, with these women? And um, yeah, so it was actually, it was, it was certainly not the only factor in being able to actually recognize my more full self, but it it was one of the largest factors for sure. Were you a theater kid? Were you acting from the time you were young? Oh yeah, yeah. I I I did community theater from the time that I was probably six years old. Um, I don't come from a theater family, but I am really lucky. I had an extremely supportive family who uh, had a kid that sang and danced around the house all the time and was willing to uh, put me in spaces where I could explore that more. So yeah. Where did I you grow up? I grew up outside of Chicago. Okay. In the suburbs, yeah. You have no accent. Is that something that you purposefully worked on as a <laughs> performer or does it come out sometimes or is that just you? It comes out when I'm with my family more, I think. <laughs> no, uh, I think that I can attribute to the uh, wonderful training that I've had because I definitely had a, a, a thicker Chicago accent when I was uh, a teenager and uh, I'm yeah, I'm grateful that with uh, great acting training, I've been able to come from a more neutral place because okay. <laughs> it can be but pretty strong. <laughs> there are hidden tapes where it would sound like you were starring in Fargo. <laughs> Not quite Fargo <laughs> level, but much more like the uh, uh, like that old SNL sketch with uh, Chris Farley and, and uh, Phil Hartman where they would sit around and talk about the bears. Okay, that was you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So... So this voice that you have, this voice, let's, where does that come from? <laughs> where does it come from, Lori Patton? That's so funny. That's such an impossible question. Um, I, uh, oh, it's, it's so interesting because I used to have, and still in some ways do, uh, it's gotten a lot, it's changed a lot, but I, I used to have a lot of really deep anxieties about my voice um, Mm. because I don't have a voice that is typical for musical theater. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I used to get horribly, horribly anxious at musical theater auditions and in concert situations. And I, and I still, um, those can still be hard for sure, but um, it's, It took me a long time, I think, to actually uh, find my voice and find how I felt about my voice. Um, Because I always sang and I always knew that I I could sing and I I knew I, it's not like I didn't think I had a good voice. I just didn't know where my voice fit, I think. Um, When did you become aware of your range, your remarkable range? Did you have um, a teacher who kind of was like actually I think you could go even higher or lower or sort of where when did you start playing to see just how far you could stretch Mm. um I do have I mean I think it's it started a little bit before this but I do have an incredible uh incredible voice teacher here in the city who has helped um challenge and push me in new ways um and and take care of me and help me learn actually my instrument in a way that I never have before. So I've been really fortunate with my relationship with him. Um, but I think, I think my first beginnings of starting to recognize it was um, I did a show 
that was a, a punk musical that was being developed in LA called Home Street Home. And it was the first show that I did that was really rock music. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not um, a traditional musical theater score. Um, I th- Have I mean, you I, done I, traditional I, musical theater? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm certainly, I haven't... Um, I can sing soprano, but I, it's not, it's not like I've been, uh, you know, any, uh, Kelly O'Hara roles, (laughs) but, um, for for sure. Yes, yes. Yeah. I know that'll be the next thing. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I definitely, I've done plenty of, um, certainly more contemporary, but, but for sure I've done um, both contemporary musical theater scores and also older musical theater scores. Um, right. So when you were growing up and doing community theater, were you also sort of starring in all the musicals in your middle school and high school? Were well, I homeschooled. Girl? I homeschooled in middle school and high school, actually. Okay, I we have buried the lead. Talk yes. about listening fact. Although we are all now homeschooling our children because no one goes into buildings. I know. Anymore, now it's all unofficial homeschooling. How um, did that become your family's protocol for school? Well, it it wasn't so. I have siblings, but um, uh, who are fairly significantly older than me. Um, so I was kind of by the time that I got to middle school and high school, I was the last one being schooled in the house. Um, and it was it was really a decision because I wanted to work professionally and I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to travel. And so my parents were supportive of that. Got it. And um, yeah, so I did curriculum based homeschool learning for all of middle school and high school. So I didn't do the school shows, but I was working professionally at that point. So you started working. What was your first professional job? Um, my first professional show was a Christmas Carol at the Goodman Theater. Wow. I was twelve. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it just kept going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thankfully, and very, I, I was very lucky that. Um, the type of professional work I was doing was very, um, I got to work on really great plays at theaters that were really supportive and mentored me. And I got a lot, a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of mentorship and a lot of support. Like I, I wasn't working in some way where all of a sudden I was like in a public eye or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very much, um, you know, over the course of my career, I guess now it's probably more even, but uh, I've done a lot more plays and musicals, probably now edging towards more musicals, but I always consider right. myself an actor first. And so I did a right. lot of plays too, and, and just really um, started to actually really learn how to act um, because I was in these spaces in which I had the freedom to um, explore and learn without a lot of public pressure, uh, which was awesome as a teenager. And were you traveling around to different regional theaters? I mostly, so I worked at a regional theater outside of LA a lot and a little bit else, a little bit inside of LA as well. And I also did a show off Broadway in New York um, and then in Which regional theaters that? in Chicago. What was the off Broadway show? It was, it was probably like technically like off, off Broadway. Yeah, I think it yeah. was, um, there used to be a thing called the Summer Play Festival. Sure. And uh, it was uh, a play called Training Wisteria, which was written by Molly Smith Metzler, who's now doing incredible TV writing. And it right. was directed by Evan Cabinet, who is now wow. with Lincoln Center. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. are you traveling around with um, uh, a chaperone or one of your parents when you're doing these jobs? How does that work? Yeah, my mom. My mom was really the one who traveled with me. Um, 
I'm really fortunate that um, my dad's a small business owner and uh, he would stay home and uh, my mom was uh, able to come travel with me and support me, which was a huge privilege. Wow. Um, so I wanted, I want to just sort of understand how, do you hear like a weird whistling? Is there something in your building going on outside? I I think that somebody, I think that the building is vacuuming outside. (laughs) I am so sorry. I think they've chosen this moment to vacuum the hall. (laughs) But what's so funny is I had that going on earlier and I was like, Lauren hearing Pete, uh, who is now vacuuming outside my door. Um, That's hilarious. I guess this time of the afternoon is, is vacuuming time. This is the time. And I feel like when we finish, I should vacuum my apartment just to keep the goodwill going. And totally. Let's do totally. it. We'll do it together. Yes. Um, so I want to go back to uh, this show that stopped in March. And I don't think any of us quite understood uh, how long it would be until Broadway turned on the lights again, Mm -hmm. as it were. So I'm curious, what do your producers, when they communicate with you, what is the conversation? What are they asking of you? What's the expectation? What happens when a hit Broadway show that has just received many nominations, which we'll talk about in a minute, what's the directive? Like what's happening? Hmm. It's so interesting because I think it's completely unprecedented. There is no, sure. there is no past experience to draw from with this. Um, so I, I would say it's probably really different show to show. Um, yeah. I think that um, I'm so grateful that our producers are, uh, very confident that we will be back and reopen. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume you are not being paid to, or are you being paid? Is there some kind of stipend to keep you and this cast available? No, I, th- you know, it's, it's, um, w- yeah, it's not, I, I miss, it's not really feasible, I think, because right. of just the nature of, um, uh, what each show, what, what shows finances usually look like. And because sure. there's no ticket sales coming in. So, um, you know, definitely we were all, uh, extremely grateful for that extra $600 pandemic unemployment insurance. I mean, I think there's so much conversation going on about supporting arts workers right now in these, um, unbelievably difficult times in which there just is no work for us. Um, right. and so, yeah, the, the conversation around federal and state support, part of why it's so important is even for Broadway workers, because the conversation is about arts workers all across the country and regional, right. you know, everything. But right. even for Broadway workers, it's not like we are being paid at this time either, even if we were for- fortunate enough to be part of a show. Um, so I think that um, our producers have also been really um, doing a lot of work to keep the show um active and see what we can do during this time. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of work that we've done as individuals, but also like the show did an amazing fundraiser for Biden-Harris with Alanis. And uh, I think the the show really cares about carrying the message of Jagged Little Pill into the world, regardless of whether the show is happening at the theater or not. So think we've been fortunate that we've had opportunities to stay connected to the show stay connected to its message even while Broadway is shut down um 
But Do you find yourself running through the show anymore? I'm sure at first when you closed, not knowing how quickly or not quickly you'd reopen, mm. you were like, okay, I got to keep, do I know my lines? Do I know, like, were you more going over things in your head and have you let that go at this point? Yeah, definitely. Because I think um, at a certain point, I think it would drive me crazy to feel like, um, be, because now we do know that it will be quite some time. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think for me, the healthiest uh, way to get through this time is to be as present in the moment as possible, which uh, w- while this is a pause of a shutdown, the, the, the truth of the present moment is that our show and other shows that were on Broadway are not currently running. It's not there. Right. They don't currently exist in that form. And so um, I think that what has been best for me is to um, very gently and lovingly put it down and mm-hmm. trust that when the time comes to take it back up, um, we will do that. And uh, we will need to have plenty of rehearsal because it will have been a long time. And yeah. so uh, it's not like anybody will expect us to just uh, show up. Yeah. Half show hour. Up. Half right. hour. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's too much very large scenery for that to be safe in exactly. any way, shape or form. So, yes. uh, so yeah, I think that honestly for me, um, it's felt so great to still be connected to the show and to do things in conjunction with the show, but also at the same time, as far as the actual, uh, script and staying on top of that it's it's been healthier for me to just let it let it be and put it down and trust that there will be another time to take it back up you had begun to want win awards for this role uh pre-shutdown and and post-shutdown and then the other day there was this thing that happened where James Idlehart announced this year's nominees and it was such a strange season and and so unclear if this would happen or not Mm -hmm. um and obviously it's a complicated thing for so many reasons but Mm -hmm. I certainly hope that within the complicated scenario that is 2020 Mm -hmm. um is joy uh because Mm -hmm. there should also be some joy for something that generally if you're in the theater is a marker of something, right? Mm -hmm. The the Tonys have always been a marker of something, whether it's a way to share what we do with the rest of the world or just to commune with each other and celebrate how hard it is to make something. Mm. Uh, I'm curious if you can talk about nomination day and, and how that felt. Yeah. Um, there, there was a lot of joy, and I, and I think you really um, you expressed it beautifully in that it is extremely complicated, and it's certainly bittersweet because so many shows didn't get the opportunity to open because of the pandemic, and the season does not look like what the season would have looked like, um, and and also the industry is in such a vulnerable place right now in which we are. Um, so desperately in need of federal and state support and have not received that yet. And so it's all so complicated, but, um, 
but on the day, I think that certainly for myself and I think for everybody in the show, you know, everyone I talked to, there there was a sense of like, what a just a ray of light to just have this moment of joy to celebrate what we did and celebrate all of the other shows that did open and share their work. And and I, I think too, part of what the conversation tends to focus so much on musicals. Um, several plays opened. A lot of really great plays opened and closed in their natural amount of time because plays usually run limited engagements. That's right. And were incredible pieces of work uh, that deserve to be honored and that won't return to Broadway, not because of the pandemic, but because they ran their course and did their limited engagement. And I think I, as this was leading up, I was thinking so much more about the plays and all the people who put so much time and effort and artistry mm -hmm. into those. Yeah. Um, those things that aren't the type of shows that run for five years on Broadway and so won't be returning. Um, so I, I think that ultimately it was really good to just have a moment to recognize um, the power of theater, the power of what opened um, prior to the pandemic and to get to celebrate our community a little bit. I think we really needed that uh, bit of joy. Did you grow up watching the Tonys? Was that a family tradition? Oh, yeah, I definitely watched the Tonys. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, of course, you. I, I feel like every theater kid um, dreams of one day perhaps being on that stage. You know, it's it's the irresistible dream for every theater kid. When when the announcements were happening on the Tony Awards YouTube channel, which is how yes. it this year, where have you been during during the shutdown? Do you live in New York? I do. I do. I have spent some time in Chicago with my family, but for the most part, I've been in New York. So were you on the phone with anybody or Zooming with anybody or as the announcements were happening, what what was your, what were the circumstances that you watched? Yeah, I did. I watched them live with a friend. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, because I didn't, I didn't want to watch them alone. Um, of course. And, you know, I didn't want to, and it's such a strange, isolating time that, uh, I was grateful that I was able to watch them with a friend. And um, and they were at a very uh, civilized hour this year. You didn't have to wake up at the crack of dawn. It was Honestly, mean. I feel like we should just change it now and make it this hour because, yes, usually they're announced at something uh, like 8 a.m., mm -hmm. which uh, I remember because I woke up to watch the Fun Home Tony nominations come mm -hmm. in uh, mm -hmm. when I was doing Fun Home. And uh, – yeah, that's brutal. Why do we do that? I feel like noon is great. We the should theater just, this, people. To this theater be, people who went to bed at 2 a.m. Like correct. this is all. This should be, nice. I think, that this should be the new norm, I think, yes. for the Tony nominations. I'm going to put a plug in for that. There you go. They're listening. Don't you worry. So you watched <laughs> with a friend, and there it yes. was. And then so was everyone in your cast who yeah. was eligible. And every single designer who was eligible. I mean, truly, um, every Everybody. person who was eligible to get nominated got nominated, which is unbelievably rare. Yeah, that's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. And then do you call home or they call you or? Yeah, I talked to my parents. Uh, and of course, the I had, I, it took me the entire day to sort through the texts and the calls yeah. and emails. Um, <laughs> I didn't yeah, even so. touch social media yet, <laughs> but yeah. it was all too much. So yeah. you forget, you know, so many people, there's so many people who are in your corner who love you, which right. is an incredible. Um, Such an outpouring. Yeah. It's an incredible moment to um, really just see, uh, yeah, how many, how many people are in your life who have, and you know, for me, particularly because I've been working for a long time, people who have uh, been there from the beginning for me, you know, my oldest friends and stuff who have known, um, 
how long I've been working, um, even as a young person, just I've been working the majority of my life. And so uh, wow. it's really, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Has anyone told you what the Tonys look like this year? Do you have any no. idea? What, I mean, what is it? I feel like, is, are they on I, the moon? Like what happens? <laughs> Um, I I don't think there there's truly as far as I know I really there's not an answer for that yet it's not I don't think yes I I definitely think people assume that I like know and I'm just keeping it under wraps it's it's like no friends I I really don't know Mm. (laughs) I truly truly do not know so it's it's, it'll be a surprise for all of us have you received your nomination certificate in the mail have they sent you anything official it hasn't come yet, but I did get the the email saying that it would be sent. Okay. So it's real. I'm on it's I'm good. on the lookout. I will get apparently there's a thing that's called a nominee pin. I did not know this. I'll have a pin. Yes. That's extremely exciting. Yes. Who doesn't <laughs> like a pin? Fashion's I love pins. Important. I love pins too. What is it like when you finish singing? Uh, you want to know, and you're standing there and it literally is suddenly like you have filled the Palladium or Madison Square Garden or the Met, like every huge rock and roll venue on the planet. And people go out of their minds. What do you do with that? You can't pretend it's not happening. (laughs) I think. I know you're such a team player and you don't want the other cats to feel like it's so complicated when you're stopping a show because you're in an ensemble and you want everyone to like you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, but it's, but truly though, I mean, and I I truly don't mean this disingenuously, disingenuously, but like, I'm I'm not the only person on stage. I know. That's true. And I think a lot of the, the power of, you know, and it's and I and I know that my work is part of it. You know, I'm I'm not trying to uh, completely deflect, but but truly, like there is some of, a lot of the power is the the way that the ensemble um, uh, operates in that song and like mm-hmm. creates this uh, giant pulse of energy in the second yes. half of the song. I yes. think that's like a, a very significant part of that number, and um, uh, it is a really, I mean, <laughs> also what has been great is that in so many ways, um, Diane and the production just set it up for me so that I, I really don't have to do anything because uh, when we break, the hold is completely up to our stage manager. We have a cue light and he cues us to to break and to continue the show. Right. And so, uh, because I think, I, if I remember correctly, I feel like uh, in Cambridge, it was kind of... Uh, in the beginning before we set it like that, it was sort of like, do I break? When do we continue? Right. And what it was, do I do? Right. right. And then you sort of have, so then you would end and you'd be like, I don't know how to feel this out and all this stuff. And particularly yeah. with you, I don't know, it's, we've literally expended every ounce of energy that we have left. And so a lot of times it's also just a nice chance to catch my breath. Totally. totally. <laughs> um, so, uh, it, I mean, it's, a, it's an absolutely incredible moment and it's, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced before. And, um, it truly is feels like this beautiful communion with the audience, um, and in a lot of ways, I'm. I, I, it's great, and I get to uh, just uh, wait and let it wash over me and wash over everybody on stage, and then our stage mm-hmm. manager can decide when the show continues, and so I don't have to make any decisions about it, and it's great. Right. <laughs> well, man, Lauren, you show up 
to meet that song and everything in that show, not just that song, just you come on and we know who Joe is. And, you know, when I ask people if they had questions for you, a lot of them, and I won't say their names because I want to protect their privacy, wanted me to ask you, you know, it's such a big question, but advice for people who have not come out yet, who are scared to come out. Mm -hmm. And so much of the beauty and power of your show is not just as a deal with drug addiction, not and, and adoption and um and coming out right and mm-hmm. and all of these and and mental illness i mean it touches every i mean i could go on and on the number of yeah. things that this show is able to to touch with such love and honesty and um just it's yeah. it's so beautiful I'm, I'm being inarticulate because I just remembered sitting in that audience and it took me a while to stand up at the end because it's mm. just so packed with humanity in in every in every um form that that it can be and take on but but do you have any thoughts I'm sure because of the role you play and the number of people you meet at the stage door or now online you're yeah. constantly asked for guidance and I wonder do you give it do you take this on? Do you have thoughts to share? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that in some ways, of course, I can only ever share my experience, you know? So it's mm-hmm. less guidance so much as um, here's what I have learned in my course of being a queer person, just one queer person in the world, you know, because everybody is so different and particularly um in this community, it's such individual experiences. Um, and I think that for me, um, the, the first thing along those lines that I always think is really important to say is that, um, you, you don't have to come out at, Mm -hmm. in, in any kind of timeline. Like there's no, um, there's no right way to do it. And also I think um, it's deeply important to honor that there are so many members of our community for whom it's not safe to come out um, and that there should never be an ex- expectation around that, particularly because um, as we continue to fight for rights for um, everybody and under the LGBTQ plus umbrella, there are, there are folks within that larger community um, that coming out has much different implications for them than it might for others. Um, right. So I think that's really, I think that's always, I, I, I always feel that that's so important to say, but um, I think that to the, um, I have been really fortunate in that my experience with coming out and, and um, discovering my, my, my fuller identity um, I've, I've had a lot of people who really see me for who I am and, and love me for who I am. And uh, I think that for every young person who isn't sure whether they're ready to come out or whether they, if what they're, they're scared to, um, even if it doesn't feel like it right now, there are those people out there for you. Like there, there are people who see you, you know, and probably see you whether or not you've come out because they see themselves, you know? Um, and so I think that it can be such a scary and vulnerable thing. And, um, 
but I think that if you're in a place where you where you feel that it's safe and you're ready to take the leap of faith, trusting that there are people like me and like many other people in the community who who see you and love you fully, um, and then that whenever that moment happens for you, you will be able to share that love for other people who come after you too. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, sweet friend, before I let you go, is there a little known fact that pops into your mind about you that you Mm. can share? Yes. So, okay. This is the first thing that popped in my head, so I'll just go with it. Little known fact is that I went through a skateboarding phase. I was not very good, (laughs) but probably from, I think I was like nine to maybe 12 or 13, I had a skateboard and I skateboarded around and I tried to learn how to do a trick and it didn't go very well, but I felt really cool. And um, so I did go through a massive tomboy skateboarding phase in which I wore a lot of camo shorts and rode my skateboard around the, uh, around the park. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course. Do you still have the skateboard? I think it's still in my mom's garage somewhere, I think. Awesome. I awesome. So. Well, next time you're home... <laughs> Take yeah. your first spin, Lauren Patton. You are the most extraordinary human. Thank you for being on the podcast and thank you for sharing so much of your day with me. I am so honored and congrats on all of it. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time with me. This was great. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So there you go. These are little known facts that you know. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Klar and recorded in New York City. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.